Welcome to the Raising Kids Together podcast. Raising Kids Together is a place where moms of all ages and stages come together from all over the world to walk this journey of mothering with one another. This podcast is just a small glimpse into the things that we are talking about in our daily Zoom meetings. I am your host, Tina Smith, and each week you can listen in as I and others share God's word and grow in our spiritual parenting. I am praying that you are blessed as you listen in. of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Amen. All right. So let's dig in. There's a lot of interesting things to learn about the church at Laodicea. Stacy said, my former pastor used to say that this church was the church of lot of sin. I like that. Yep. It definitely was. (laughs) All right. So the greeting that Jesus gives this church, um, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, again, as with one of the churches we studied last week, this greeting is not directly taken from Revelation chapter one. Um, if we if we kind of break it down, the word amen was an Old Testament, often an Old Testament title for God. And, and in this greeting, Christ seemed to be saying that he was the affirmation from God. Um, look at 2 Corinthians 1 20 and let's see how this fits in. 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's right after 1 Corinthians. And right before Galatians. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him, being Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So, um, Paul is telling us that Jesus is the yes of God and the amen of God. Um, And he is the affirmation of God. Um, So Jesus confirms every promise that is made by God. And so in this letter to the church at Laodicea, Jesus is saying, I am the amen. I am the affirmation of God. He also calls himself the faithful and true witness. And you'll see that he's getting ready to reveal or to expose the true condition of the church at Laodicea. They thought they were one thing, but he is going to expose them as something very different. And then he says he is the beginning of the creation of God. 
the word for beginning means the source or the origin. And we know that Jesus was there at creation. He and the Father are one, the triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all there at creation. And Christ was God's agent in creation. Um, so that is the greeting to this church. Now, we really don't know much about this church because there's nothing else um, in the New Testament that we can find about the church at Laodicea. So there's not much known, but there are some things known about the city of Laodicea. Um, it was known for four things, well known for four things. It was known for its wealth. So it was a very rich, very wealthy city. It was known for its medical school. There was a medical school in the city. It was also known for the manufacture of a special eye salve or eye ointment. And then it was known for the production of a glossy black wool cloth. So four things that the, that the city of Laodicea was known as, known for. And we're going to come back to those in just a moment. So really, this city was truly like a first century Wells Fargo, Macy's, and Mayo Clinic all rolled into one. That's how I like to think of this church. Wells Fargo, Macy's, and Mayo Clinic all rolled into one. Now, let's think for a minute about the geography of the church at Laodicea. You'll recall that these churches were kind of in a circular area and Laodicea would be the last church. Um, about five miles to the northwest of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis, H-I-E-R-O-P-O-L-I-S. And this city was um, known for a famous spa. Now we're all girls, so we get excited about spas. Um, so that spa had hot mineral baths. Sounding pretty good right now, huh? Let's all just adjourn to the spa at Hierapolis and get us a hot mineral bath. Um, it's all, it, Hierapolis was also known for the medical treatments that went on there. 10 miles to the south of Laodicea was Colossae the city of Colossae. And it was one of the things it was known for was the fact that it had pure cold water. It was, it had these springs of pure cold water. And in fact, visitors to the city of Colossae today still can drink from those springs. So we're going to come back to Hierapolis and Colossae a little bit later on. Keep in mind, Hierapolis was the hot mineral bath. Colossae was the cold, pure springs. Um, this particular city was destroyed by an earthquake. Now, you'll remember that some of the other cities were also destroyed by an earthquake in AD 17 or 19. I can't remember which. Laodicea survived that earthquake, but it was destroyed in AD 60 by an earthquake. And the emperor offered money to build this city back just like he did for the other cities earlier. It probably wasn't the same emperor, but this city declined the money because they were so wealthy. I have no need of your money. We're wealthy. We can take care of ourselves. That's very significant. Um, 
things that have been excavated from the city uh, have been aqueducts where water ran into and out of the city. Also a theater. Um, we know theaters today as stadiums probably, but in those days they were called theaters. And this, this theater or stadium had an arena that was 900 feet long. So it was a big, big area. Um, a large gymnasium has also been excavated in Laodicea. Um, so let's look now at the commendations of this church. Do you see any commendations? Did Jesus say any attaboys to this church? Not a single one. Jesus gave the church at Laodicea absolutely no commendations because they were too busy commending themselves. I'm rich. I have no need of anything. Um, and so in reality, they thought they were doing great, but they were disgracing his name. So there were no commendations for this church. Now, you know, this church is one that while the church at Sardis that we call the zombie church, I told you that church scares me to death because it looked alive, but it was dead. This church, um, this church at Laodicea breaks my heart the most because all too often it is me. I find myself in this church or acting like this church. And, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more later. So the rebuke that Jesus gave this church, um, look at it in um, verse, starts in verse 15. I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, but then, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. All right, now let's go back just a minute. Remember what I said about Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis had the hot mineral bath, the hot mineral springs, and very likely those waters flowed into Laodicea. Colossae had the cold, pure water, and that water may also have flowed into Laodicea. But by the time the waters from each of those cities got to Laodicea, they were likely lukewarm. So what you got in Laodicea was lukewarm, mineral-laden, nasty water. And it was very well known that the water in Laodicea was not fit to drink. And Jesus is using this, um, this metaphor that would have been very, very familiar to the people in Laodicea because they had water that was not fit to drink. And he said, I wish you were either cold, pure water or hot healing water. But because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's sobering. 
That is very, very sobering. Um, Leanne, I know you had something you wanted to say about that. Um, well, you touched a lot on it. You know, it's um, they were known for their hot springs and their cold springs and the hot sp springs would bring healing, you know, for pain, uh, pain relief and the cold springs, they would put their sick people in there for the anti-inflammatory properties. But the springs, the lukewarm one was full with bacteria. And if they, and if they would, you know, to drink that they would die. So he's actually saying a lukewarm Christian brings death. You're not doing anything to save someone. So that's all I just wanted to add that. Yeah, thank you. That's right. That is absolutely right. I want to read a quote from, um, from a commentator about this church. And he says, when he's talking about the lukewarmness of this church and other churches, oh, Tina, I love your ears. You have it going on, girl. Okay, um, John Stott says this, perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this one. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity, which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. Wow. Just wow. Okay, so this church was lukewarm. Now, we are all going to go through times when we're not as on fire for the Lord, but lukewarmness Yes, Sharon, I will put that in the band app. There's several things I'm going to put in band this week, um, and that will be one of them. Lukewarmness should be a transitional state. It should not be somewhere we stay. Um, I want to read Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, because it applies a great deal to this. This is Jesus, and he's, um, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a perfect descriptor of the church at Laodicea. You did all these wonderful things, but you didn't do them in my name, in the right spirit. Depart from me. I never knew you. This church was self-sufficient. Um, Jesus said in um, verse 17 that they say, he's quoting this church, you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Vanessa says, what's heartbreaking to me is these Christians don't seem to be able to see their lukewarmness. Absolutely, they don't. Satan has this blinded to this, absolutely blinded to it. Um, 
these these Christians at Laodicea had become self-sufficient. And as you know, that's not where we as Christians need to be. We need to be leaning on and leaning into Jesus every moment for his strength to do his work, for his empowering to do the work that he's called us to do. Um, This was a church that had no need of Christ. Now, they thought they were doing the right thing, but they had no need of Christ. And Jesus said that they um, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And the word that's used here for poor Um, or for poverty doesn't mean just simple poverty. It means grinding poverty and need. It is abject poverty. And this is not a poverty of material things. This is a poverty of spirit, a poverty of the heart. This church was spiritually blind to their own situation. They were so rich in spiritual pride, but they were bankrupt in spiritual grace. Um, They were just so absolutely wrapped up in building their own kingdom that they couldn't see that Jesus was standing outside knocking. And if you look, verse 20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Like our sweet friend Sharon always says, context is king. And when when you have heard this verse quoted, Revelation 3.20, my guess is it's always in the context of someone coming to know the Lord for the first time. But that's not the context that this is being used in. This is being used in the context of a Christian who has backslidden. Jesus is talking to you and me, not the person who has never been saved. Um, Let's see. Nikki says, I wonder what good things they did with their money. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Tina, I love that he will come in if it, in if anyone hears him. Yes. And Vanessa, oh, but for the times in my life when I stood for years look lukewarm. I'm with you, sister. Thank you, God, for your eyes to see and grace. Yes. I think we may all have experienced this, but thank God we didn't stay there. Amen. Amen. We've all experienced it. Well, yeah, I'm sitting here as you started talking about a wealthy church because I go to a big mega church in the suburbs that has all these facilities and programs. And I and listen, I have never heard anybody in 20 years of our leadership not dependent on Jesus or anything like that. However, when you go to a church and like we had Hurricane Harvey and the pastor stood up and we raised a million dollars in one Sunday. It's very easy to think we are so awesome. Look at, uh, think that we are generous, that we have these great hearts. And there are many people that give out of a great, uh, out of the appropriate heart. But when you have, when you have need of nothing and you are the big, the big church, it is easy to think that you are doing just fine. 
So as you're preaching, as you're ta- teaching, it just reminds me to check my, I'm not casting aspirations on anybody at my church, but check my spirit. Am I relying on what my big wealthy church can do? Where is, where is my complicity and all that? So anyway, just made me think about myself and where I go to church and do I go to the church? I have a church that could very easy, easily fall into what Laodicea was doing. Yeah. So good, Kathy. Thank you so much for saying that because it is something that we all need to check our hearts on and not just, not just our churches, but ourselves. Have we become so self-sufficient that we have no need of Christ? Um, This is the harshest rebuke of all the churches um, because their problem was pride and God hates pride. He is very clear in scripture that he hates pride. Um, If you, there are several references in Proverbs to how much God hates pride. And so look at what God was offering the people who would turn back. He says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire spiritual gold. Now, remember, one of the things that this church was known for was their wealth. The city was known for their wealth. So God was offering them a better wealth, a spiritual gold. He also says that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Remember, this city was known for these black woolen Um, glossy wool garments that were manufactured there. Jesus said, you need white, pure garments that I can provide. Um, He also said, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The city of Laodicea was known for a medical center and an eye ointment or an eye salve that was produced there. Jesus was saying, I have the better treatment for what truly ails you. So do you see how beautifully Jesus uh, um, related what's going on in each city to the people where he used illustrations and analogies that they could understand? And that's exactly what he did here with these. Um, He offers them spiritual gold, spiritual clothes, and spiritual sight all of which they desperately needed. So what are the promises to this church? Um, In verse 18, we talked about that. um, And it sounds like to me that in verse 19, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It sounds like Jesus is saying, I may be sending you a little bit of persecution. which generally draws us back. Bye, Leanne. Good to see you. Um, He, and then we talked about that he counseled them to get white clothing and a heavenly eye ointment. Jesus still loved this church. I don't want us to think that he is throwing them away. He loved these people. They were Christians. They were his people, but they had strayed away. They had become self-sufficient and prideful and he wanted them back. And so he was prepared to discipline them 
out of love. And that's exactly what he does with us. Um, and the sense of this statement in verse um, 19 is the discipline that a parent does to a child. It's that kind of discipline. Vanessa said how warped our world is to think that rebuke and discipline is a bad thing. And for what we're currently going through in America and the world as a church now, how many times do I fight against the rebuke and discipline? Absolutely. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it produces a harvest of righteousness. Uh, and so Jesus disciplines us for our good. Um, and he promised those who, who heard and obeyed and repented that he would dine with them. He would, um, he would, they would sit with him on, on his throne in heaven and um, they would be overcomers just as he was an overcomer. And so Jesus was definitely calling this church back to him. Um, so I want to, end uh, the church at Laodicea by reading something to you. And, and when I said I've got some things to put in band, this is, this is one of those things that I want to put in the band app for us to think about. Um, and it pertains to being lukewarm. How many of you read Crazy Love by Francis Chan when it came out? Okay. So in Crazy Love, there is a, an entire chapter called Profile of the Lukewarm. And I want to read some out of this to you because there are 18 signs that, um, what does he call them? 18 signs that you might be lukewarm. So let me start with a couple of quotes out of this particular chapter. It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Ouch. Just ouch. Francis Chan says, my caution to you is this. Do not assume you are good soil. I think most American church goers are the soil that chokes the seed because of all the thorns. Thorns are anything that distracts us from God. When we want God and a bunch of other stuff, then that means we have thorns in our soul, in our soil. A relationship with God simply cannot grow when money, sins, activities, favorite sports teams, addictions, or commitments are piled on top of it. That's a bit sobering, yes. Samantha says it's about parents saying no all the time. The kid's hating it, so they have a yes day where the parents have to say yes to everything. By the end, the kids realize they need their parents to say no and parent them as they need. Totally off base from this, but just reminds me of how we act as humans sometimes. Yep, yep. Nikki, I've often thought 
why would unbelievers come when they when what they see is a bunch of believers walking around without the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, Nikki, I am flipping through my Bible right now because there's a quote I want to share with you and I'm not finding it. Um, any other time it would jump right out um, to me, but apparently it's just not meant for me to share this today. So, okay. All right. So let's, um, let's look at the profile of the lukewarm. Number one, lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them, what they believe good Christians do, so they go. Number two, lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church, as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it is easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Number three. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance and giving, than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. Number four, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. Oh, there, all the air got sucked out of the room. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. Number five, lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Number six, lukewarm people, and this I've got in my book written, ouch, beside it because it stepped on my toes. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Number seven, lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. Number eight, lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Number nine, lukewarm people love God, but they do not love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, that that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. It's only for pastors and missionaries and radicals. Number 10, lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people who know and connect with them. There is little love left over for those who cannot love them back much less for those who intentionally slight them, whose kids are better athletes than theirs or with whom conversations are awkward or uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and very selective and generally comes with strings attached. Y'all, this 
I just feel like I need to get down on the floor because this steps on my toes so much. Number 11, lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go and how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. 12, lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. 13, lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. They are quick to point out, Jesus never said money is the root of all evil, only that the love of money is. Untold numbers of lukewarm people feel called to minister to the rich. Very few feel called to minister to the poor. Number 14, lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. Number 15, lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Number 16, lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church, made a profession of faith at age 12, were baptized, come from a Christian family, vote Republican, or live in America. Just as the prophets in the Old Testament warned Israel that they are not safe just because they lived in the land of Israel, so we are not safe just because we wear the label Christian or because some people persist in calling us a Christian nation. Number 17, and I've got ouch, ouch written by this one. So this one really got me. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Oh, and number 18, lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average. But besides that, they really aren't very different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. Okay, those are the churches that Jesus had something to say to. So we've studied the vision that John had in Revelation chapter one of Jesus. I know Vanessa, I'm picking myself up off the floor too. Um, we've studied the seven churches and what Jesus had to say to them. Next week, we will move from earth to heaven. We're going into the throne room of God. I'm so thankful that you joined us for this week's episode of the Raising Kids Together podcast. I hope you've been blessed by listening in on our Zoom room. We would love for you to join us. You can come when you can and come as you are. Simply go to RaisingKidsOnYourKnees.org and click the button on the front page to enter the Raising Kids Together Zoom Room. 
We meet Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great day.